We're going to start by reading today from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And we've been reading this passage every Sunday, primarily. I haven't been here for a few of them, but I think we've been reading it uh, for the last several weeks as we've been studying about the armor of God. And uh, this passage at the end of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, the Ephesian church, uh, comes with just, uh, you know, his final words. Just if I could sum it up, he seems to be saying, this is what I would want you to know. And this is how I would want you to live. And this is how I desire for you to respond to all that he said before. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Let's stand together, can we? And uh, I'll read this for us. And at the end, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And you can respond by saying, thanks be to God. Ephesians 6, verse 10. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times, and on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too, Paul wrote to them, but I ask this of you. (laughs) Ask God to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan, that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles and all of us alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador, so pray that I will Keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Isn't this our prayer for each of our lives? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. That we would keep on speaking boldly for him as we should. Well, we're coming to the end of summer. I know those who went back to school this week feel like it's already over. Labor Day's next weekend, and then I think summer officially ends later in September or fall begins. But uh, we're coming to the ends, end of summer in one capacity or another, and we're coming to the end of this series. Next week will be the last uh, as we look at the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God, and you won't want to miss uh, being uh, a part of our, our time together next week as we look at this passage but, uh, but we, we are, are coming to the end of it. We're calling it Stronger. Uh, this is supposed to be like a, an old um, comic book cover. Did anybody pick up on that? Okay, all right, good. Yeah, that was kind of the idea that, that, that you know, the superheroes are just stronger and they're just powerful and they've got all sorts of superhuman powers. And, and so that was sort of the idea that we're stronger as we use and wear the armor of God. But it's not our own strength. It's, it's the passive form when Paul writes about be strong. He says, be strong in the Lord. Allow the Lord's strength 
to be that which strengthens us. We've been talking about what it looks like to be stronger. And the Apostle Paul in this portion of Scripture where he, where he writes, he's suggesting that the battle for Christians, the, the real fight for those who are following Jesus is not against flesh and blood. It may feel that way sometimes when people are standing against us, but ultimately our fight is not against flesh and blood, against an enemy that is visible and physical, but it is against an enemy that is unseen, that is spiritual, that is evil, that is strategic, and that is powerful. And as we've said before, Peter, another biblical writer, speaks of this same enemy in another way, calling him a roaring lion, prowling about looking for someone to devour. Now, we're not here to sort of promote, uh, you know, scare tactics. We're not here to encourage you to be on the lookout for a demon behind every bush or every rock. We're not here to somehow put you on the, the, a fearful retreat. What we are here and what we're trying to do in these weeks is to alert us to the, the reality of this unseen world. And we're not making this up. Paul speaks of it. And throughout Scripture, we hear of this as well. Jesus speaks of this enemy as, as well, this one who would come to steal and to kill and to destroy. Again, Paul says it won't be our willpower. It won't be our ingenuity. It won't be our quick thinking or our creativity. It won't be our, our uh, accountability partners that, that ultimately help us. It won't be our grit and determination. These things alone won't be enough to fend off this threat. This one who would seek to destroy us can mow right through these things. Instead, it will be again as we're strong in the Lord. As we, as we receive and respond to all that it is that God has to offer to us. As we've looked at over these weeks, his, his truth and his righteousness, the peace of God and this faith that God desires to grow in us, that he offers to us. It's as we not only receive these things, but as we really grab hold of them and put these spiritual pieces of body armor onto our lives, applying them to our daily living by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we then will be, say it with me, stronger, stronger, stronger. This is God's desire for us. He hasn't left us alone and weak and timid and fearful and ready to crumble at the first sight of trouble. He's given us the armor. He's given us himself. And he desires to make us strong and stronger so that we might stand firm in the face of these trials and this enemy. So we've been examining these pieces one by one. We've been noting how they, they serve a particular function. And today we move to perhaps, I guess we've maybe said this every week, but I think today we move to perhaps the most significant piece of armor. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be different next week. It'll be the more significant one next week. But, but today, because of critical, because both of, which, of what this, this piece of armor consists of and because, again, of the the, the, the part of our body which it protects, and spiritually the part of our existence, the part of our soul that it, 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 it protects. It is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. And Paul writes, and it's translated by the NLT, put on salvation as your helmet. 
Put on salvation as your helmet, the helmet of salvation. You can just leave that up there for a moment. For the Roman soldier of Paul's day, as we've been thinking about from week to week, in getting dressed for battle, would have grabbed his shield, and before he grabbed that sword with his one open hand, would have grabbed his helmet and strapped it on, a helmet crudely made of iron, typically covered in bronze, additional metal as years went on, covering his neck and cheek uh, protectors as well, really only leaving the nose and the eyes and the mouth open to the enemy, strapped on for a snug fit. Its primary reason for being this helmet for the soldier was to protect the soldier's head, his skull, his brain, and, and especially from what was known as the broadsword, a three to four foot long sword. And some of you maybe have seen these or been, are aware of, of this. A massive handle that needed to be cradled with two hands and that if it connected with an undefended target could lay the person incapacitated immediately. So this, this helmet was, was not just like an additional piece, like, eh, should I wear my helmet today? Should I, should I put that on or nah? No, no soldier, if he was lucky enough to have one, would go out into battle without his helmet securely fastened to his head. His chances, not just of injury, but of certain death, increased exponentially without it. In the same way, as Paul works his way through the army, he says to us in these verses, to, to the believer, to the one who is following after Jesus, seeking to live a life that would be pleasing and glorifying to God. He says, don't even think about entering into this spiritual battle, this spiritual warfare, without strapping on your helmet of salvation. Don't even, don't even think about it. Don't, don't even consider Getting up and living one day in the midst of this life that you've been called to and invited into, but faced with incredible challenges and an enemy who is out to get you without putting on your helmet of salvation. Grab hold of the reality of what it is that God has done for you in Jesus, what it is that we've sung about here this morning, rescuing us from our sinful past, delivering us from darkness, setting us free to live for Him, and place these truths this amazing truth of what it is that God has done for us by His grace, place these truths around and over our heads, covering our minds, the command center of our lives, protecting us from the attitudes and the beliefs and the thoughts that the enemy would seek to create and engender and grow there uh, if he had the opportunity. I remember the first helmet that I ever had. Uh, for most kids nowadays, it's a bike helmet. But back in my day, it was a Pittsburgh Steelers Sears catalog helmet. Some people don't have any idea about the Sears catalog. For those of us in our like 40s and above, perhaps, we're like, yeah, it's lamentable that we don't know. Sears catalog, you guys, like Amazon is the Sears catalog on steroids, like on just boom. <laughs> Amazon has billions of items available in two weeks. The Sears catalog when I was a kid had like thousands of items available, or in two days. Uh, Sears has thousands of items available in two weeks. So a little bit of a difference there, but man, it was just, it was, it was bad. Because if you're like me, you, you got that Sears catalog, and it usually came a couple months before Christmas, at least our house, and, and you would just spend the next like month just, just developing greed 
and desire and want and all these things, and, and it would just, just do bad things to your soul, I, I know, but I would, just, I would just want this and that, and, and I remember just making my Christmas wish list one year, just a Pittsburgh Steelers, it was the 70s, Franco Harris, Terry Bradshaw, Lynn Swan, anybody with me? Okay, thank you. Um, and they were winning Super Bowls, and I lived in Idaho. There was no local team, so it was the Steelers for me all the way. And I just remember asking for that helmet, and I remember that Christmas morning, opening up that box, and there it was. And I put on that helmet, and I just wore it around. And we, have pe- we have pictures of me as a kid just walking around in my Pittsburgh Steelers football helmet. And I'd be outside, have a football, and I'd just be... And I remember my, some of my friends got those same kind of helmets. And let's be honest, let's be clear, these were not like functional helmets. These are pieces of plastic with a, a face mask on it. And, but we got those helmets, and we thought we were such big stuff, and that those helmets were so great that we, that we just would start to, like, bang our heads together. You know, just ram our heads together. It's like, let's try them out. Ugh. That's how they do it in the NFL. How many concussions I suffered as a child, I don't know. But it perhaps explains a little bit of my behaviors. Uh, yeah, not so many Pittsburgh Steelers Sears catalog helmets around anymore. Now, but, but who, who could have imagined uh, in the era that we live in now that that was the extent of the helmets that children were wearing? Now, I mean, kids wear a helmet for just about every activity that there is. And I'm not making fun of that fact. I mean, I, I took our teenagers on snowboard trips beginning 15 years ago, and uh, it was only one concussion in where I said, all right, every kid's wearing a helmet. And so we wear helmets. And when they get on their scooters, they wear their helmets. And when they get on their skateboards, they don't wear their helmets, but they should. Uh, sometimes they do. Uh, and when, of course, when we ride our bikes, especially for, for you know, it's the law, but, but for older people as well the significance and the importance of riding helmets. We've just discovered that this is important to wear helmets, not just for show, not just to show the team that you like or to be able to smack your head against your friend's head, but because it really makes a difference. In fact, I was looking up some statistics this week, and this one came from the Bicycle Helmet Safety Institute, so it might be a little bit tilted, but they said that 74% of fatal bicycle crashes involve a head injury. So 75, three-quarters of the time, if you, if you die from a bike crash, it's because there was a head injury. And 97% of those bicyclists who died were not wearing a helmet. So, so if, if the helmet is worn, it helps. Some other studies have estimated that bicycle helmets could have prevented 75% of fatal head injuries and 85% of non-fatal traumatic brain injuries in kids while riding their bikes. This is a lot of numbers, but I'm just trying to overwhelm you with them. It's been estimated that if kids simply wore bike helmets every time they got on their bike, it would prevent 135 to 155 deaths per year, 39,000 to 45,000 traumatic brain injuries, and 18 to 55,000 scalp and face injuries per year. We've just discovered that this is a good thing. So much, in fact, that at, at the school where my kids went to elementary school, and I think this happens at other ones as well, the Optimist Club, I, I believe it was the Optimist Club, came every year, and they fitted our kids. Every student who needed a bike helmet, they fitted them for the, the, the right one, and then they gave them that helmet. If you could make a donation, you could make a donation, but if you couldn't, then you, you didn't. 
and you got a, a helmet, and my kids still wear the helmets that they got from the Optimus, and they're nice helmets. I was going to bring them here today to show you. They're not like the cheesy ones. They're not like the cheap ones. They're not like the ones that you know, no kid wants to wear, but they're nice helmets, and they would, they would wear them. So knowing all this about how good a helmet is to, to wear, and knowing that our kids in our city, at least many of them, have received free helmets, how tragic would it be that after that free helmet had been given to a child, were you to drive into their neighborhood and see them riding their bike without the helmet on? How tragic indeed would that be? I mean, just to see it, not, not even for something to happen because of it, but just to see that, 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 that the, the free helmet that had been given was not being put to use, and that the threat was as viable as ever that that child could sustain injuries that could lead to permanent damage or even to death. What a tragic possibility. But Paul seems to be saying to us in the same way, how tragic would it be for a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, to have freely available to them the full helmet of salvation, the full reality of what it is that God has done for them through Jesus Christ that could protect them from the fatal blows or the, the, the damaging blows of the enemy and yet fail for whatever reason to strap it on. Now, some kids just don't like to wear helmets because they're not cool. Some kids don't like to wear helmets because they forgot their kids. They don't think about it, perhaps, all the time. Some kids like to wear helmets or don't like to wear helmets just because, you know, they'll get laughed at or, or, or just because it, it just doesn't, you know, they, they didn't have it at the time, and so they just went ahead and jumped on the bike, maybe when they were playing with a friend at their house. Christians fail to put on the helmet of salvation as well for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's just negligence. Sometimes we just get into our daily routine, our check the box, you know, make it happen, get this done, get that done, and it's the end of the day or it's in the moment of temptation or testing or when we feel the enemy coming at us and we realize it's too late, I'm falling, my head is about to hit the concrete and I forgot. I just simply forgot. Others, perhaps, we don't put on the helmet because we don't think it's cool. We, we think, perhaps, that, that, that living with this helmet or this recognition, this awareness, this constant state of, of, of sensitivity to what it is that God's done for us will somehow keep us from experiencing life that is offered to us in other ways. And we don't want to miss out, perhaps, on, on the, the fun or the experience of this life by focusing so much on the salvation that God has offered to us, so we fail to put it on. It seems like for a lot of us as well, when we think about salvation, we just don't think of it as a helmet to be worn daily. For a lot of us, we think of salvation as a, a past event and a future one. It's a past event because there was a time when somebody invited us or someone preached at us or Something happened inside our soul, and we decided that we wanted to follow Jesus. 
And so we prayed a prayer and we invited Jesus to come into our heart and to forgive us of our sins and to become the leader of our life. And that happened at one point back then. And we believe that because that happened, that someday out there, God will send his son again or we will die and pass away from this earth. And because of what we did over here, we get to go and be with God for eternity in heaven. Now, this is a tremendous aspect of salvation. I don't want to downplay it at all. It's important to enter into a relationship with Jesus. It's important to make that decision, to have a moment of of saving faith. And, And what a great joy that we can live forever with God in the future because of that decision. But sometimes I fear that because we've uh, sort of compartmentalized salvation into what happened and what will happen, we forget that it's happening right now. That this is something that we are to put on daily, that we are to apply to our lives each moment of each day and not just count on what happened then or look forward to what will happen then, but live into the reality of what God is wanting to do in us and through us even now. Not only have we been saved from something, for something, but we've been saved to do something. Not only have we been uh, saved so that our status before God might be changed, He might look at us as forgiven and, and, and acceptable to enter into his, his eternity, but our identity has been changed. Our sense of who we are has been not just our status, but our identity how we understand ourselves and how we look at ourselves, how we think of ourselves. Not only has our position before God been changed, but we have been given the possibility of a brand new life, both forever and right now. Take up, put on salvation. That is your helmet for right now. Listen to these words from Paul in other places. Romans chapter 6 Verses 7 and 8, he says this, For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. This is the Bible, friends, just to let you know, not making this up. And since we died with Christ as we came to him in salvation, we know we also live with him. Not just that we will live with him in eternity, but that we live with him right now. We have been set free from the power of sin. Those who have come into this saving relationship with Jesus, you've been set free from the power of sin, and we've been raised to live a new life with him. Listen to this also, Paul, from 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Read it with me if you can. I know it's small print, but it says this. Let's read. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Other translations say you're a new creation. You're a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And that's now. It's going to come even more fully in eternity. Don't get me wrong. We don't have it all right now. But we have this new creation, this new hope, this new possibility, this salvation even now available to us. It's the hope of our salvation, not just a past and future event, but a present reality, a present hope. And so, my friends, our challenge, our invitation is to get up every morning 
to go to bed every night, to pause in the middle of the day, and to make sure that our helmet of salvation is strapped on snugly. To, to make sure that we're applying the reality of what it is that God has done for us to our lives in this moment, in this day, not just some concept that we've agreed to, but a, a practical reality that is being experienced in our lives. To be reminded as we perhaps look into the mirror and to, to be reminded that we are people who have been saved by the grace of God, this not of ourselves so that we could boast, but by God's grace, He has saved us. To, to, to be reminded that we are people who have been delivered, that we've been rescued. This is what salvation literally means, that we've been rescued from, from the pit, that we've been delivered from darkness, that we've been forgiven of our sins, that our slate has been wiped clean, my friends. That, that as far as the east is from the west... This is how the Lord remembers our sin. It is gone to remember that we are children of the King, to be reminded and to remember that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is unleashed and available to us, accessible to us as we live in the moments of this day. We get up every day and we grab hold of this present hope. As I was thinking about this, I was I couldn't help but think of my old friend Stuart Smalley. Um, Daily Affirmations with Stuart Smalley. Anybody remember? So this is, if you don't remember Stuart, you can Google him or YouTube him. But this is not a get up in the day, give your, in the morning, give yourself a big hug, look into the mirror and say, you know, I'm smart enough, I'm good enough, and doggone it, people like me. This is not a positive affirmation. This is not just positive self-talk, like pat yourself on the back, you're okay, go get him today. You're going you're gonna to make that sales call, and it's all going to work out right, and, you know, it'll be great. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about looking in the mirror and making a declaration, not about who I am, but about who God is and what it is that he's done for me through his son, Jesus Christ. This gift of salvation that we just take for granted, that we just sell short over and over again, that is available to us. Not just then and then, but now. Paul writes these words in Philippians. Look here with me. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. He says this, and now. And now. He seems to say that at the end of a lot of his letters. And now, one final thing. Here it is again at the end of Philippians. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And keep putting into practice all you learned from me and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, this is the life of salvation. Then the God of peace will be with you. This is what we're to do. Think about this gift, this joy, this power, this presence, this saving work of God in our lives. And as we begin to do these things, as we do it more and more, as we allow the reality of God's salvation to grow in our hearts, lots of things begin to change. We begin to be people who live with a greater confidence, a certainty 
in what it is that God has done for us and who it is that he's calling us to be. A lot of us live wavering from day to day, wondering, am I, how do I stand? How, how, do I, how does God see me? Am I hot? Am I cold? Am I in? Am I out? What is my, what is my status? And we, we worry more about this than, than we do about just living into this relationship with God. We can have this confidence because of his saving work in our lives, of who he is, his Deep, deep love for us, his sacrificial love for us, his grace and his mercy. We can have a, a new sense of confidence. We can have a, a new sense of freedom. How many of us and how many do we know Christians, people who would claim to be followers of Jesus, who yet live with this, 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 this baggage that we drag around from day to day, this, this confinement, this slavery, or at least we think this slavery to sin. And yet, as we read there in Romans, Paul says that you, if, and Jesus says elsewhere, if, if, you've been, if you're free, if you've been set free, then you are free indeed. We have been set free, those who have put their faith in Christ. We begin to live with this new sense of freedom. That sin that has dragged us down and tripped us up and filled us with shame and guilt, we've been delivered from it. And we begin to live into that reality, no longer slaves to sin but servants of the God who saved us. And we have this sense of new power. This sense that when the temptations come, yet we've put on the helmet, it's like, get away. Because I have this, this sense of the God who saved me is at work in me even today. The God who saved me is saving me. He's changing me. He's transforming me. And so there's no room. There's no room here for the attacks of the enemies to get and to gain ground in our lives. We wear this helmet of salvation around our heads. We protect ourselves from the kill shot of the enemy, but we also protect ourselves from the more subtle attacks on our minds. As we put on the helmet, as we consider what it is that God has done for us, as we think about that saving impact in our lives, then the attitudes and the decisions and the beliefs and the ways of seeing the world that the enemy would love to influence in our lives are not impacted. As we focus on that salvation that God has given us, these thoughts find less and less room to gain ground. Well, we've heard it said that we should live beneath our means. And uh, you know, I have a, a, a friend who's a financial planner, and you know, that's kind of his main thing. Oh, we'll help you, you know, invest here and put your money there. And, but if you're spending more than is coming in, then ultimately this is not going to work. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful financial peace university teaching. I actually haven't taken the class, but I imagine that it is. And uh, it, anyone who's ever given me financial advice or financial counsel has always said, you know, that at some level. Yeah, you should do this with your money. You should do that. But, but the big chunk here is that you got you to gotta spend less than, than you're, you're making. And if you live above your means then that's going to be problematic. If you spend more than you're making, then there's going to be troubles. And this sounds so good, but as Americans, we just don't do it well. I mean, let's be honest. We love to live above our means. And, and you know, if we, if we get a little bit more somehow from somewhere, let's, by, you know, heaven forbid that we save it, let's spend it. And, and, if, and if we, 
you know, need to just, well, it's a need, right? It's not a want, it's a need. So if we need to spend just a little bit more than we have, well, we, we'll go ahead and do that because it's just plastic anyway, and, and it'll all work out all right in, in the end. And, and these, sort of, these sorts of thinking have just gotten us in trouble uh, along the way, and, and we know that it's a problem with this, uh, with us in terms of spending more than, than we bring in. We struggle to get the concept and particularly to put into practice this idea of living beneath our means. Except, except for the Christian, I fear, when it comes to our salvation. When it comes to our salvation, we have gotten actually pretty good at living beneath our means. And what I mean by that is we've gotten pretty good at living with less than what it is that God fully desires to do in our lives. We have lived beneath what it is that God wants to, the level that God wants to raise us to. We have lived beneath the promises that he has made to us in his word. We have lived short of the opportunities and the gifts that he has given to us through Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Time and time again, we live beneath. We remain enslaved to our sin. We don't grab hold of the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to fend off the temptations and the attacks that come our way. We continue to believe for some reason that his love for us is based on how well we perform as opposed to just how much he loves us. We fail to live in, again, to that power that he provides and to take hold of the promises that his word makes known. Well, I think Paul invites us in this passage to put on salvation as a helmet, to begin to live up to the means, to begin to live up to all that God has offered to us in salvation, a new life then and then, but now as well. Put on this kind of thinking every day and to allow it to permeate every facet of our lives. This is a great challenge for those of us who are followers of Jesus. It's a great invitation. And, and far from us being sort of discouraged by this and thinking, yeah, that's me. I don't live up to all that God has done. Far from being discouraged by that, let's be encouraged because we need to know that there's room to grow. There's opportunities still above us. None of us have fully lived into even what God desires for us now, nor by any means what he desires for us throughout eternity. I mean, this is a, 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 a life of growth with him. So it's not a not a frustration or a discouragement, but an opportunity, an invitation. Oh, God, you have more for me? Oh, the promises of your word say that I can really do that? Well, well then, by the power of your spirit, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but let's do that. I want that. I'll put on that helmet. I'll start to look at myself in the mirror and, and begin to declare the realities of what it is that you've done for me. I'll begin to protect my mind in such a way that when the thoughts of the enemy begin to creep in there, there won't be room there will be a tough shell to protect me from those. Begin to do that if that's what it takes because I know that I want you to do that work in me. Whatever it is, this is my prayer. God, I'm very optimistic in your grace. I'm not real optimistic in my abilities. 
but I'm tremendously optimistic in your grace. And if you desire to do something in me to change me and transform me and make me something new and to help me to grow beyond these things that continually seem to trip me up, then God, do that, and I'll keep putting myself in that place. It's a wonderful invitation for those of us who believe. I, I want to say to those who may be here who have not yet believed, it's a wonderful invitation for you as well. And I don't know who you may be, if there's anybody here who, who still may have that sense that I really haven't entered into this relationship with God. I really don't know what it's all about, and I'm not sure I even believe in it completely. But I want to say to you that, that, that this hopefully has some, some allure, some, some sense that this God who loves every one of his creation, desires to not only just love us and kind of leave us be, but to love us and to live in relationship with us and to be one who helps us as we face the challenges and the stresses and the temptations of this life, that we can have this salvation, not only the promise of an eternity with God, but the promise of joy and peace and strength and confidence even now. I'm going to invite our worship team to come on up here and, and uh, begin to just play and, and sing for us. And as they come and as they begin to play, I'm going to invite you just to sort of take the posture in these moments that will be most helpful for you. Some of you are just, you need to, you just need to stand before the Lord. Some of you just need to sit where you are, and that's perfectly fine. Some might even want to come and kneel here at this altar of prayer. I just want to invite you to take that posture, whatever it is. And as they lead us in, in this song, I want us just to respond to the Lord. We talked about that earlier, leaving some moments here to respond. And we want to let, give you that opportunity here even this morning to, to reflect on where it is that you are in terms of your, your relationship with God. Is, is your is your saving relationship where you would hope it to be today? Is it a matter of just, just laying hold of that and allowing it to take new life and new shape in your life? Or is it a matter of sort of reinstigating that so that it might take greater shape in your life? Some maybe have never made that step of faith, but today would want to.